0: You're listening to A Conduit's Diary. This is a podcast about me, Rachel, and my experiences as I investigate paranormal activity as a conduit. This is rated R for explicit because I do have a little bit of a foul mouth. Thanks for listening, and be sure to subscribe and rate this podcast wherever you listen to it. Without further ado, let's get into episode 28, The Sleepover. After two years of avoiding COVID, I was finally got. Last week, there was a sniffle going around the rescue. A sniffle isn't unusual. We work together in close proximity. It's very much a, if I have a bug, you have a bug environment. There's no social distancing when it takes two people to draw blood, restrain, safely admit animals. You're just elbow to elbow all the damn time. Plus, most of our volunteers are high school or college kids, meaning they've been neck deep in the pandemic mire for months now. Add in the holidays, it was bound to happen. And it happened the way it does with everyone. First a sniffle, then a negative at-home test, which progressed to a positive PCR test on day three, after being at work. You can't eat with a mask on, so it spread through the break room. And before you knew it, we were entirely shut down. Thankfully, no one was seriously ill, yay for preventative medicine, but here I am, down for the count, trying to guess the password to the Netflix account I stole five years ago. I haven't been out on the road for at least a week, and the cases keep piling up. Rather than regale you with my current DoorDash order, or wax poetic about my Zoom meetings with a Gen Z crew that wants to add a paid TikTok position, I thought I'd share an oldie, but a goodie. See, I've mentioned before that being a conduit is genetic, or so I think. My grandmother had her ways. Mother never really elaborated what that meant, and grandma died when I was too young to really remember her. My mother assures me I would have despised her, and I don't have the will to try and summon the woman to find out for myself. Mom was one of three children, and the only one to get the gift, or curse, I guess. And then came Stephanie and I. You've met my sister, You know that her knack for real estate is very much of this world. I have a Bachelor of Arts in Psychology from almost a decade ago. I couldn't tell you a thing about a Punnett Square. I can tell you that it seems a little strange the way that the traits kind of pass on. Every generation has just one, and of that one, it's always a girl. I've tried to press my mother for more details, but she hasn't budged. I don't think she knows the truth behind it either. It was obvious that I would be the one to break with the gift of the sight. My mother claimed she knew right away that it wouldn't be Stephanie. She said I was an uncanny child. But there was always the possibility that not a single of her daughters would be born with it. It was a sleepover when I was in first grade that marked me as the front runner. Like most awful 90s birthday parties, this one started at Chuck E. Cheese. Arizona isn't really the epicenter of activity— we don't have Six Flags, SeaWorld, Disney, or any other major adventure park for kids to enjoy their free time. I suspect it's because we spend four months of the year with the same temperature as the surface of the sun. There's one roller coaster park in northern Phoenix, Castles and Coasters, which really only has one roller coaster and some putt putt. Arizona is more about water parks than anything else, but this birthday took place just before they opened for the season, so we were stuck with Charles Entertainment Cheese. We spent the chaperoned afternoon with pinball and greasy pizza, my father looking displaced and uncomfortable amongst parents whose name he didn't know. I didn't care. I was winding up to get enough tickets to score the bear in the big blue house stuffed animal, and I was on a roll. After the party was a sleepover just for the closest friends of the party girl. Somehow I fell into that girl, though to this day I don't really recall the name of the girl. I couldn't tell you how she looked just that she had this queen bee air about her that drew in all sorts of little girls like myself. She was well-dressed, and rich, and her parents let us drink soda after 6 p.m. Around 8 p.m., we were gathered in the theater room in the basement of their house. The floors were covered in every assortment of sleeping bag and pillowcase. I stole a spot on the corner in my bright blue Aladdin sleeping bag, clutching my one stuffed animal that smelled like plastic and cheese. We were finishing up the latest Mary-Kate and Ashley Olsen detective movie when the Queen Bee proposed story time. Do you know any scary stories? She asked us with a wicked grin. So started the usual jumble of first grade tales. Disjointed recountings of haunted houses, shaking window frames, ghosts that grab you. Our hostess watched on with the patience of a saint, all the while a dangerous smile playing at her lips. At last, it was her turn, and she was ready to absolutely terrify some kids this house she started then paused for a dramatic effect is haunted next to me a girl inhaled a sharp gasp others shifted uncomfortably i was unfazed creepy shit was my life my mother had a shrine of weird things haunted heirlooms i knew about the family propensity for the weird and that i was more or less a magnet for it I was already aware of the way the shadows pulsed when I went places, or that there was a figure amongst us that no one was acknowledging. Yes, you heard me, she continued, her eyes narrowing on those who squirmed the most. The house is haunted, and I can tell you all about it. My parents bought it for really cheap because the entire family died here. Murdered. Shot. She added these qualifiers for effect, punching them with their enunciation. The gasps were louder now, eyes shifting to look in the dark recesses of the corners of the theater. You're lying, said one of the girls. She was the smallest of us, but by far the bravest. She had a boyfriend in the next class up, and they held hands on the playground. Am not, retorted the Queen Bee. She clearly didn't expect anyone to question her, and she obviously disliked the interruption. Prove it, then, the smaller girl goaded. Let me finish my story, she hissed. The room was silent again as the Queen Bee continued. Anyway, my parents got this house for cheap because the entire family was murdered. They were sleeping in their beds when someone snuck in and shot them one by one. The gun didn't wake the others up, the small girl interrupted cynically. No, it wasn't a loud gun, Queen Bee retorted. She could see she was losing the crowd, so she hurried on. They had two kids and they died from the guns and then the mom and the dad died. I can see them here sometimes. That's why I wanted us to sleep in the basement. That's where it happened, right here. She thrust her arms wide to point to the area around her, beaming a grin at the way she trapped us all down there. At first, no one moved. Then it was a sea of spindly limbs trying to climb over each other to get out of the basement. Queen Bee watched in delight as the group dispersed except for the smaller girl and myself. I was frowning because, well, that just didn't seem likely. I'm not going to go pretending that I was working through the math on herding an entire family into the basement just to shoot them. It was just, I'd seen the little girl who died. I saw her earlier in the day, while we were going to the bathroom. I'd assumed she was part of the party, but then she walked through a wall, and no one offered her any leftover cake. So I knew she was dead, or it maybe invisible, but dead seemed more likely. You're a bad liar, said the smaller girl. Her arms were wrapped tightly around her chest as she glared at Queen Bee. Oh yeah, if you're so sure, you wouldn't mind playing a game, would you? The retreating bodies halted at the stairs and turned to look at their leader. A game, questioned the smaller girl. A game, affirmed the Queen Bee. We'll summon the spirits of the dead family. If you're so sure I'm lying, then what's there to be afraid of? The silence that followed was deafening. The group that was vacating the basement decided their curiosity over the two warring girls would be far more entertaining than hiding upstairs away from the drama. They made their way back to the pile of sleeping bags and watched as the queen bee set the rules for the game. It's simple. We're going to do a little summoning. You go into the closet. She pointed to the closet door in the corner for emphasis. In the closet, you'll turn off the lights and say the name of the killer three times. How do you know his name? asked the smaller girl. Her resolve was waiting. She was hugging herself tight, her confidence obviously failing. Because it was all over the news, duh, she retorted. Everyone knows the name of... Killer Larry. The group gasped. Killer Larry was infamous in Arizona. In the 90s, before chain mail really popped off... Schools were the number one culprit of spreading misinformation. Every week, a new bulletin went out about some white van trying to lure children in with the promise of candy. There was never a concrete description of Larry, because he didn't exist. He was a figment of a childhood imagination who went on to telephone the story of the same van across multiple school districts. Surprising no one, Killer Larry was never caught. And once the internet really started to pop off, he was replaced by send-to-five-people-or-you'll-be-cursed emails. The smaller girl's face drained of all color. She was trapped. Back out now, and she was a true coward. The stakes were high for her. We'd invoke the name of the neighborhood villain. To her credit, this girl was brave. She swallowed, clenched her fist, and marched to the closet. Once inside, the Queen Bee turned the light off and slammed the door to her proverbial coffin. To be honest, the dramatics of it all made me hungry. I knew it'd take more than a few minutes for them to summon the boogeyman, but I was ready for my second slice of cake. I tiptoed up the stairs so as not to be caught getting my fourth serving and was surprised to see Queen Bee's mom in the kitchen. She was scrubbing the countertop and paused when she saw me. You okay, sweetheart? she asked. Her face scrunched as she tried to remember my name. Yeah, I was just hungry. Can I have another piece of cake? She shrugged and opened the fridge, watching as I served myself a slice and sat at the counter. Where are the others? She asked me. Oh, they're playing a game about the murders. The murders? Her mom asked. A single too-thin eyebrow traveled up her face, disappearing behind her long fringe bangs. You know, the family that lived here that was murdered? Murdered? I said as I dug into the cake. Her mom sighed. You know that's not, she started. Oh, I know. The whole family wasn't murdered. Just the girl, I said with a shake of my head. The mom paused, blinking. What did you say? She asked slowly. I swallowed the next piece of the sickly sweet cake and nodded. Yeah, the little girl, uh, Amanda? It was just her, and she wasn't really murdered. She died because she was very sick. Cancer. I added sagely. Who told you that, breathed a mom. I finished the last few bites of cake and brought the empty plate to the sink to wash. Amanda did, I said. You shouldn't joke about that, sweetie, the mom said. I'm not, I replied, blinking at her. She had cancer, and they had her in the basement because it was big and warm in the winter and cool in the summer. She died and they moved, and you bought the house because it was perfect for gammy. The mom dropped her rag and took a step back. I finished rinsing the plate and put it in the dishwasher. Did Queen Bee tell you that? Tell you about Gammy? Breathed the mom. I shook my head. No, I don't think Queen Bee remembers Gammy. She thinks the scariest part of the basement is because of the family that was murdered, but I think it's actually the machines that scared her when she was little. They're really loud, weren't they? The mom sat down then, her hand going to her chest, her jaw slack. I paused before leaving the kitchen. Gammy says she loves the dragonfly light you gave her in the garden. She looks at it all the time. Then, satisfied that I was no longer hungry for more cake, I descended the stairs to the basement. To my horror, I'd missed the crux of the fun. The small girl had broken free of the closet and was standing, triumphant, in the middle of the sea of sleeping bags. She was pumping her fist in victory, sticking her tongue out at Queen Bee for having vanquished Killer Larry. I joined in the fun, wired on my endless supply of sugar, and collapsed in a heap with the others sometime around 2am. I didn't realize the drama I caused until the next morning at breakfast. Queen Bee's mother refused to look at me, and when my mother came to pick me up, she nearly broke her arm, dragging her to the side. I heard her yell and barely contain rage at my mother, telling her to keep her big mouth shut about their family and the now dead gammy. My mother was taken aback at first, then she looked over the mother's shoulder and met my eyes with a slow smile. It was then she knew I'd be the one to carry on the family legacy. Maureen, she said by way of placating the woman, putting her hands on her shoulders. My family comes from a long line of conduits, women who can see things. We know things. Rachel is one of them. Your mother chose to speak and visit to her, and she passed it along to you. What a blessing. She patted the woman's shoulder and turned to gather me into her arms. On the way home, my mother stopped and got us pancakes from Perkins. Extra whipped cream for her little conduit. A Conduit's Diary is created by me, written and produced by me, mixed horribly and edited by me. Cover art created by BMC Design on Fiverr. Music, intro and outro, created by Chris Hornberger.